Morning, everyone. Morning. Can you hear me? Great. Uh, we have a lot to cover, and it's roasting. So um, feel free to fan yourselves with the book. Um, but that's not the only reason I've given it to you. This seminar will, will use the resource as a bit of a guide to help us think about this issue of transgender. My name is David Smith. I'm a solicitor by background. I've worked uh, as the public policy officer for the Evangelical Alliance for the last eight years. I'm delighted to be here today, and thanks so much for coming along. Everywhere we've run a seminar like this, at Spring Harvest in England, at the Bible College in Belfast, we've been overwhelmed with the numbers. So it's been, it will be run again at 2 o'clock in the main tent. So if you think someone else should hear this, or you're outside and you can hear me, uh, come back at 2, and uh, hopefully you'll get a spot in there. You should have a copy of the resource in front of you to share. Um, if you don't, or if we've run out, there's a few, a few extra copies here, or it's free to download on our website. It's eauk.org forward slash trans, um, or email and we'll send you one. And there's some other videos and resources there. There's a video about Tim, but we'll be hearing from Tim in the flesh today. He'll be sharing some of his experience around this. There's also a video from Jeanette, uh, and you can, you can watch that on there too. I'm going to talk to some key sections of the resource as we go, and I'll try and indicate chapters as I remember. Yes, this here. Um, so yes, that's the resource you should have it in front of you. Stories about transgender uh, are appearing in our newspapers almost daily. Trans characters are appear appearing in TV shows and movies. And alongside greater visibility, there's a great deal of confusion in our culture about what it means to be transgender and how society as a whole should respond to the extent where this is now controversial. Uh, a billboard that says woman, adult, human, female. So it's obviously an incredibly sensitive issue which goes to the heart of identity, how we relate to each other and what we believe, things that we all care really deeply about. So why am I standing here and why are you sitting there? All of us a little nervous about what is about to be said. Well, we had a lot of uh, churches asking for an introductory resource to this issue. And so this seminar, like our resource, is something of an overview. Many books have been written about this issue. So to try and cover it in any detail would be a foolish endeavour. I've read a lot around this issue and work in the space of contested current affairs and the Christian faith. But I'm not a doctor or uh, an expert on this issue. In our short time, we will look at language and definitions before exploring the various cultural streams that have come together um, to influence the rapid rise of the current transgender debate. Having understood, hopefully, the broader cultural context, we will look at the guidance offered by the Bible and how we can respond pastorally. Finally, we will briefly touch upon some statistics, law and policy impacting on these discussions. Then we're going to hear from Tim about his family's life experience around this issue. We'll wrap up with some time for questions at the end. Peter, who wrote this resource, during the course of that he met with a variety of trans groups. And even within these groups there was very little agreement on the causes or interaction of sexuality and gender or treatment. In fact, one of the people in the trans group said this. If you've met one transgender person, you have met one transgender person. No two experiences are the same. 
Now, this is true, but it also reveals something of the broader culture of radical individualism in which we're having this conversation. The same person also hoped that the church would be a place of welcome for trans people, even if the church did not know how to respond to all the questions being asked of it. And so I think the broader challenge to the church within this issue and beyond in a culture of radical individualism is how do we become a church marked by radical hospitality, as the theme of our conference is exploring. Probably like some of you, I have met some parents who are supportive of trans children and parents who are struggling. Met teachers, medics, church leaders, trans groups and trans people. And in every church meeting that we've spoken about this, this is real for someone there or someone directly related to them. So I want to say this last thing before I start properly. I will attempt to be as kind and as honest as possible in my words and how we present this issue. Where I feel, let me say sorry at the outset and please be assured that my heart in this is to reflect how Jesus is described in John 1.14, being full of grace and truth. So the word transgender, um, chapter 2 of the resource, is best understood as an umbrella term for those who experience their gender identity differently to their biological sex. However, there's a great deal of confusion and ambiguity around this in our culture. So what is trans not? Well, it's not to be confused with intersex conditions. That's those with ambiguous chromosomes, gonads or genitalia. And some have tried to inflate the numbers of people with intersex adding uh, any anomaly to try to prove that sex is in some kind of spectrum. Most intersex people do not consider themselves to be transgender, and the vast majority of transgender people are not born with ambiguous genitalia or any other ambiguity regarding their biological sex. The two conditions are separate, and it's not helpful often to conflate them together. So what is it? Well, there's perhaps three main areas to be differentiated within the current conversation on transgender. Gender dysphoria is a relatively rare medical condition. There's no agreed understanding as to how or why it occurs, and nor are there clear diagnostic criteria. The NHS definition is a person who experiences discomfort or distress because there's a mismatch between their biological sex and their gender identity, page 9. There are approximately 15,000 gender identity patients in the UK. The next thing is gender incongruence to a degree. So it can be a phase or it could last much longer, but the incongruence or mismatch is not sufficient to cause the level of distress, di- distress required for a diagnosis of dysphoria. The person could present as transgender or may not present differently at all and may wrestle with these feelings without anyone else knowing. And then, maybe separately, it's helpful to talk about the transgender ideological movement, which is heavily influenced by queer theory and supports pliability of gender. One does not need to experience dysphoria or have any intention of permanently transitioning to call yourself transgender. Gender, queer or fluid, uh, when there's no feeling of incongruence or mismatch at all. The movement is also supported by people 
who reject the binary understanding of sex and those who are not trans but are supportive, known as allies. Um, the ambiguity of language and meaning is one of the most significant problems in this area. And without a great deal of care, we can be seen as lacking compassion when we challenge the underlying ideology. Conversely, we can be seen as naive if we respond pastorally to an ideological movement. And we'll talk about that a bit more. But it's helpful maybe to think about how we got here, because no matter what your views on this issue, everyone agrees there's been something of a spotlight or a focus or a spike in uh, the issue of transgender. So how did we get there? And Andrew Walker, in his book, which I recommend, God and the Transgender Debate, notes that many streams flow into the transgender debate. We did not arrive here by chance. Hold on to your seats for a minute, because this is going to get heavy. We have relativism that removes all absolutes, binary approaches and any authority that tells us how to live. I'm speaking in broad brushstrokes here. We live in a post-Christendom world where Christianity's cultural influence is declining, but it's not quite clear yet what's going to replace it. Perhaps radical individualism, where everyone gets to write their own script, where we push off our obligations to family or others or other constraints, and we get to be true to ourselves. The sexual revolution of the 1960s detached sex from both marriage and procreation, and taught people that their bodies are entirely their own to do with as they please. Gnosticism enables a person to preference the authentic inner self above the outer bodily you, and perpetuates this idea of a disconnect between who you are on the inside and your body and how you live and move in the world. Dualism privileges rationalism and the mind over the body and biological status, quite similar. There's parts of radical feminism which see gender as a social construct or a performance, whilst other feminists are very critical of the trans movement for stereotyping and undermining women. So it's a very confused, contested space, even taking Christianity or religion out of the frame. Then we have post-structuralism, which uses language to deconstruct power and fix structures such as male and female. Um, this is chapter 7 in the book, by the way, um, and I'm sorry, I see some people are getting attacked by wasps. I can't do anything about that, but be vigilant. Um, so the post-structuralism followed by uh, queer theory, which aims to deconstruct heteronormativity. I recognise that for some people in this room, you know exactly what I'm talking about. For others, you think I'm talking another language. Um, but bear, bear with me, the point being that this current debate is only happening because of streams of changes in society and social thinking over the past maybe 50 years or more that have brought us to this point. Queer theory aims to deconstruct heteronormativity, the normalising of practices and institutions that privilege heterosexuality. The idea of cultural Marxism looks to decouple the West from its Judeo-Christian roots, redefining family, church and civil society. And finally, um, consumerism has led to the commodifying of being and identity with people choosing who they want to be. Technology is missing from the list in the book, 
but uh, on the slide, but it impacts the speed of change. Social media and the social contagion effect are undoubtedly linked to just how widespread and prevalent this is in a short space of time. And as these streams combine, a mighty river is formed, which has radically changed the landscape. But what does the Bible say? Uh, chapter 3 of the resource. Some would say not very much specifically. There are a few passages on eunuchs and cross-dressing. But I want to look briefly very uh, uh, much more that the Bible says that speaks to this issue and our wider understanding of it. Vaughan Roberts, in his helpful little book, Vaughan Roberts' little book just called Transgender, you can read it in about an hour in one sitting, um, he uses the, the classic biblical structure, creation, fall, redemption, restoration, and applies some reflections as a same-sex attractive man. The importance of the body is affirmed from creation, through incarnation into the resurrection and ascension. Bodies are not simply things that we inhabit, but an integral part of our being in the world, of who we are. Sex and gender, the biblical text affirms the physical differences between men and women as each is created differently. Um, humankind is together, but differently made in the image of God. And the male and female of Genesis 1 is developed into the, the nouns man-ish and woman-isha and applied as Adam and Eve in Genesis 2. While our sense of gender is also socially shaped, it is not a mere social construct. God depicts the existence of a man and a woman in their very being as essential to his creational plan. We often fail to grasp the extent of the fallenness of the earth that we live in. Our bodies and our minds are fallen, our sexualities, our view of God, ourselves, each other, our cultural ideas about maleness and femaleness. And when it comes to cultural and biblical norms, we have to understand what the Bible means when it says we're made male and female and not unwittingly accept society's stereotypes about sex and gender. Our profoundly individualistic culture also emphasises chosenness and givenness and changeability over stability. Some in the trans community speak of a real me trapped inside the wrong body and that's entirely understandable and, and, and we can understand what, what they mean but this is a Gnostic view that the inner self is paramount and one is free to shape their body to reflect their inner self this is in contrast to Paul's teaching in 1 Corinthians 6 that the body is the temple of the Holy Spirit and we should honour God with our body but just as we underestimate how the fallenness uh, how big the fallenness of this world is so we can also underestimate the fullness of the redemption found in Jesus Christ just think of Rosario's story that we've heard this week God moves first but on our part the first step towards Jesus and being remade in his image is repentance repentance from the sin of crowning ourselves as king or queen of our lives repentance from the idea that our bodies are temples to worship the idol of self, repentance from the false God we have created in our image, repentance from many of the views we hold about God, ourselves and each other and the way the world is. Jesus opens our eyes to the Father and in doing so helps us to begin to see the, the world through his eyes of truth and love. For now we live in the now but the not yet, in the fallenness 
um, of this world, but with the hope of glory and restoration in our hearts. While some trans people may desist, detransition, or experience a lessening of their feelings or dysphoria, for others, a degree of physical or mental incongruence between body and mind may never resolve in this life. For trans people who come to a living faith in Christ, like all of us, the redemption of their physical bodies and minds may be limited during our time on earth. We all cling to the hope of the new heavens and the new earth, as described in Revelation 21, where Christ himself calls us to see that he is making all things new. How do we respond pastorally around such a difficult issue? Chapter 4. So in light of this, how do we respond pastorally from a place of deep biblical rootedness? For many struggling with transgender identity and faith, there are issues of shame, isolation and rejection. The key questions are who am I and where do I belong, like many of us. The church has an opportunity to offer support and friendship to those struggling in a world that typically offers confusion, marginalisation and loneliness. Mark Yarhouse is a clinical psychologist psychologist and a Christian who is written in this area. He describes three different lenses that we can look at pastorally. The integrity framework, which emphasizes the sacred integrity of maleness and femaleness in creation, where biological sex is essential and immutable. Secondly, the disability framework, some people approach it through, sees gender dysphoria as a non-moral health issue analogous to someone suffering from depression or anxiety. A person may make choices in response to the symptoms or an overall treatment approach which may have ethical or moral dimensions, but they did not choose their condition and are not morally culpable for it. And then the diversity framework sees being trans as something to be celebrated and honoured as part of the normal human diversity. This is the dominant framework in our culture today. Acknowledging the complexity of the issue, Yarhouse argues for an integrated approach between these three models, drawing on the best from each framework. He is not without his critics, but he does raise many practical questions around how to build a community of support, how to create intimacy, how to address hurts and disappointments, how to understand the role of the church in discipleship and the nurturing of faith. Our role as the church um, will likely be as one of a range of voices speaking into the trans person's life, alongside family, health professionals, educators, friends, but a presence which faithfully and compassionately points them to the reality, truth, and grace found in Jesus Christ. Um, This question is in the resource up here, and say uh, a trans person who felt hurt by the church was asked, "What kind, what sort of support would you have liked to have seen from the church?" And their answer was, "Someone to cry with me rather than just denounce me." Said, "Hey, it's scary to see God not rescue someone from cancer or schizophrenia or gender identity disorder, but learn to allow your compassion to overcome your fear and repulsion, and how we hold our." Grace and truth together with conviction and compassion is a a very difficult um, thing to do. It's not about having all the neat answers, but that's not an excuse for ignorance. But it's about being a Christ-like call to be present with those who are hurting. An idea that um, we've developed in this resource is looking at Jesus uh, at the well. 
uh, in John chapter 4. Jesus' encounter with the woman at the well models a way of meeting with and ministering to those who feel marginalised. So compassion, Jesus is compassionate in his encounter with the woman at the well. Compassion will lead us to meet people at their point of need, perhaps by respecting their chosen identity without necessarily agreeing with it. Integrity. At the well, there's also a truth encounter, a moment of divine revelation around the woman's marital status. Jesus says, you're right, you've had five husbands, and the man you're with is not your husband. What you've said is true. Um, And it may be that conversations of truth will happen. It may not happen in the first conversation with someone, and it may be after years of journeying with someone, but I think in a, in a truly compassionate and truthful encounter, there will be that compassion and integrity, compassion and truth. And then redemption in the relationship, in a relationship with a transgender person, we should seek to rise above the sex and gender culture wars, drawing the inter- individual into the transformative work and power of Jesus and the Holy Spirit. The encounter in John 4 ultimately leads to redeemed relationships. The woman is transformed and runs off to tell the whole town about Jesus. And this is our prayer and hope that people who are struggling with their identity will come to know their identity in Christ. Discipleship. This type of encounter won't happen in one conversation, or even perhaps not at all in many cases. However, it's incredibly important that the church provides a place of welcome to transgender people. What does the journey of discipleship look like for one person or or for the whole church? Uh, Dr. Albert Moeller says the transgender revolution represents one of the most difficult pastoral challenges this generation of Christians will face. Andrew Walker says, though it may bring new conversations and experiences, many of us will not understand Ministry to those with gender dysphoria means walking with each precious soul through what could be years of psychological valleys. Only Christians humble enough to recognise their own brokenness will be capable of walking with people through struggles that seem very different to their own. So, love, we want to see trans people as our neighbours, promoting their dignity and providing a safe environment for them. Empathy, listening and understanding the otherness and challenge to someone else's identity that they feel whenever they are questioned. Compassion, avoiding arrogance and a dismissive um, attitude. Truth, we are communities of conviction centred on biblical truth. And patience, as I say, it may be a lifetime's journey with some people. There's questions for the church, and you'll see I'm moving rapidly. I do apologise. I said at the start this is a signpost or an overview, and forgive me for the speed at which I am moving. But uh, we want to just touch upon, uh, there'll be issues like uh, baptism and, and liturgy and, and very practical concerns that churches have us, and that's often where churches will approach us thinking very practically, how do we welcome and how do we practically accommodate someone? Um, and then they begin to think maybe theologically about this as well or pastorally. While many churches will want to offer a place of welcome, baptising a person into their trans identity will be seen as an act of affirmation or confirmation. It can be wise to have an agreed policy in advance rather than beginning to draft one in response to an individual request. Naming. Christians will disagree on this issue. 
for some generosity and courtesy, lead them to use the preferred name and pronoun of a transgender person. For others, this act they feel adds to a confusion and is to participate in or perpetuate a deception. These are powerful arguments given the significance of names. We also may distinguish between names and pronouns. Um, however, having any kind of ongoing relationship with someone, if you refuse to use their name, will be a very difficult journey to proceed with. Um, around names as well, we also might consider the context of the relationship, um, the, the law around it, or relationship with the person, their age and stage, um, whether they've transitioned or if they're exploring a provisional identity, uh, and all of those things as well. Practical steps, um, providing toilets that are clearly accessible to trans people. Whenever we met with the trans groups, they said it would be a really helpful way of showing welcome. Placing a sign saying toilet access for all on an individual disabled toilet was considered helpful by a number of trans groups to, uh, who were consulted. In relation to changing facilities and residentials, the best advice is to discuss the matter with those concerned. And again, where parents are involved and parents of other children, this is very difficult, complex stuff, and there's no one-size answer in every situation. Um, I just want to touch very briefly uh, on some science, statistics, law and policy, um, and then how we as a church respond in summary before I hand over to Tim. There is a significant scientific and medical disagreement uh, around this area. An NHS publication on gender identity clinics noted that there is currently no agreed measure of success or patient outcomes. This makes determining good patient care very difficult. There are broadly three broad, um, therapeutic interventions which can be explored with someone. The first basically involves giving preference to a person's gender identity altering their body to conform to that identity through hormones, breast binders, surgery, um, and, and conforming the body to um, the gender identity. The second broad intervention or method is to give person preference to the person's biological sex, their, their body encouraging psychological treatment or counselling aimed at altering their sense of gender identity, helping them live with their biological sex. And the third is to support the person through this conflict that they are having. Um, children and young people, um, that's where a lot of the media attention and focus has been. And there's been some key trends that have been highlighted in newspapers and, and are of concern. So referral rates um, for children and young people are up 1,000% over six years. The numbers are still very small, but that's a massive increase. The average age of referral is up to. The shift in referrals um, has been from 58% of children born male to almost 70% of children born female. So the biological sex of those young people being referred has shifted dramatically from those born male to those born female. Many decide, um, or then there's a phenomenon of rapid onset gender dysphoria particularly among teenage girls, often in groups, and this idea of a social contagion, which is incredibly contentious in the world of social policy at the minute. About 80% of the children who come to the Tavistock Clinic in London, the, the nation's main clinic that deals with this, 
Um, about 80% of the children who come before adolescence eventually change their minds. That is, they resolve to live in their birth sex. Many decide that they are gay or bisexual, but conversely, for those who come during adolescence, the figures are reversed, and about 80% go on to pursue sex reassignment surgery. So a lot of changes and swings have happened in a very short space of time, and those involved in the social policy and the medicine around this aren't entirely sure what is going on. So 10 years ago, if a person presented at a clinic, statistically they were likely to be born male, about 5 to 6 years old, and there was an 80% chance they would remain living in their birth sex. Today, if a person presents in a clinic, statistically they are likely to be born female, about 14 to 15 years old, and there's an 80% chance they will pursue transition surgery. That is obviously a significant shift, and a real, the real tragedy is that a climate of fear is preventing research into why this is happening. Um, the law in this area is currently governed by the Gender Recognition Act 2004, which allows someone to acquire a gender recognition certificate if they have been medically diagnosed with significant dysphoria and have been judged to be living successfully in their preferred gender for the last two years. Um, However, there is a consultation on this uh, that is just closed in GB, which is seeking to reduce the age down to 16 from 18 and to bring in a system of self-identification where you don't need to live um, for, for two years in a preferred gender, you can self-assign under the law yourself. There's significant concerns from many, from religious groups, parents groups, women's groups, um, about the workability of this, about free speech, uh, about how this will work out. I want to close up with just a reminder of our church response before I hand over to Tim. The church must respond with compassion The church can be and often is a place of welcome for everyone and particularly those who have been marginalised over the years, but not always. The journey to reconciliation between someone's body and their experience of their identity can often be long and painful. We need to be prepared to offer them and their families long-term support and care. This does not negate the church's discipleship role particularly among those engaged in the wider trans movement, which is often at odds with a biblical response. The church must seek out clarity, so compassion and clarity, in this area. Whilst we seek to support those individuals struggling with gender dysphoria, we can resist and oppose forms of transgender ideology, which offer alternative, radically non-Christian ideas about what it means to be human. Finally, the church should, with humility, give voice to some of its concerns. The church, like many others, will be concerned about the rush to invasive and often non-reversible medication and procedures, particularly among young people. Many Christians will also sympathise with the concerns being raised by women groups um, about the, and fundamentally that the idea of um, being a woman is being radically challenged. There is an ever-present danger of being misheard in an increasingly divisive public conversation. And so this is a moment for the church to be both grace and truth, pastoral and prophetic. John Stott, echoing Karl Barth, famously challenged Christians to have the Bible in one hand and the newspaper in the other. 
the news reports on trans vary from paper to paper and change day to day as they try to keep up with this fast-moving area. The Bible provides a consistent framework and engaging, redemptive narrative to help us engage with the diversity of people and situations we will come across. We hope that this short resource will help enable more compassionate conversations and transformative encounters with Jesus. Thanks so much for listening on that whirlwind tour. I'm going to hand over to Tim for about 20 minutes, and there's going to be about 10 minutes left for questions at the end. Thank you. Thanks, David. I'm a bit of a wanderer, so I'm just going to um, redesign what up here looks like just to make me feel a little bit more comfortable. And hopefully if I feel comfortable, you'll feel comfortable and we'll all get along just a little bit better. So my name is Tim Shields and for the next 20 minutes I have the, um, the honour of sharing with you my understanding of what it means to have a family member who suffers from gender dysmorphia, what it means to be a pastor um, a father, a son, a husband, and um, a family member of somebody who has struggled with everything that you just heard um, David so eloquently um, share with you. Um, if I could just say this for, for the start, and, and I think this will be helpful for us as we continue. My dad asked me to share this every time that I, um, I talk about gender dysmorphia. My dad is transgender. For all of his life, he felt like a woman trapped inside a man's body. And, and he's asked me every time to do him the honor and the privilege of saying this. He said, Tim, let people know that the transgender community are not a problem to be solved, but a people to be loved. And so with that comes a, a recognition, a revelation, and an understanding that the trans community want to be loved. They recognize that they are hurting, that they are broken, that they need love, and we're better, we're more powerful, we're more beautiful than the church to be that place of love. I love in how we read in Genesis chapter 28 about um, just this recognition of, 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 of a place where people can belong, where they can be ministered to, where um, angels can come and where people can just um, feel safe and secure. And for me, that's really the, the heart of the church, isn't it? That we would create spaces, environments, atmospheres, communities where people can come, where they can belong, where they can feel loved and hopefully be discipled into a relationship with Jesus Christ. One of the things that has really helped me in my, my journey, one of the things that has really helped me in my uh, walk with my dad, and I'll get into that in a little bit more detail in a minute, is um, the definition of discipleship that I use when I'm teaching on discipleship. And it's very simply this, leading people into a relationship with the Trinity and then teaching them to live in the way that Jesus taught his disciples to live. And so if we can come at that when we're engaging in any community, regardless of whether it's the trans community, the gay community, alcoholics, the lost, whoever, when we come at any community, when we come at any situation, when we come at any circumstance with that understanding, what we're actually committing to is an investment in relationship to walk with people, to lead them to Jesus, to help them to connect to Jesus and then teach them to live in the way that Jesus taught his disciples to live. And so essentially what we're talking about is a lifetime commitment to the people that God positions in our world, in our spheres of influence, to love, equip, empower and release. And so I got to be honest with you, my introduction to the trans community was not one that I wanted. 
I didn't want to be the trans guy. I don't want to be the guy who gets to go and talk um, to communities uh, about how we engage with the trans community. But it's something that was forced upon me because of my relationship with my dad. My dad is my hero. My dad has always been my hero. and My dad will always be my hero from I was this size until this very day. There are a number of qualities in my dad that I admire so much. He is deeply generous. He is deeply compassionate. He is an honoring man. He loves me. He loves my sister. He still professes to to love my mother, although their relationship is broken now. And um, he has always been there for me. I'm a former homeless drug addict. And during my my brokenness and during my, my dysfunction, my dad always made himself available to me. And he has modeled so many characteristics to me that I just think are so beautiful, so wonderful, uh, and so great that if I could even be half of those at times, I feel like I would be an incredible, outstanding human being. He's just a beautiful, beautiful person. And whilst when he presents himself to me, what I see is an imposter, I don't see my dad. I see an imposter because what I see is somebody who's gone through a number of surgical procedures to change the outer appearance of himself in such a way that he will feel more comfortable about what he sees, the characteristics, those things that God put in him when he was being knit together in his mother's womb still exist. And I think it's really important for us to remember that as the church, that when we're engaging with people who are suffering from gender dysmorphia, when God was knitting them together, in the mother's womb, he was putting stuff inside of them that still exists. And it's the church's responsibility to help them to connect with that, to help them to engage with that, to help them find that in such a way that they can fall in love with themselves. Because I believe this with all of my heart, that anybody who goes to the extremities of wanting to have surgical procedures to change their outer appearance suffers from a self-hatred that maybe some of us will never be able to comprehend They lack the ability to love themselves. And if we can help the trans community to help what is in them and pull out of what is in them, then maybe we would prevent them from going down the very, very severe, the very drastic measures that some of them have gone through in order for them to feel a little bit better about themselves. I don't believe for one minute that by changing something on the outside, it will actually help us engage and deal with the problems that are in on the inside. If my car engine breaks down, I'm not going to go and change the bumper in the hope that is going to fix the problem. And so I believe with all of my heart that whilst we have got a number of medical resources that may make life just that little bit easier for somebody who suffers from gender dysmorphia, I don't believe that that is the solution to the problem. I believe with all of my heart that the love of God, the power of the Holy Spirit, and the gospel is the one and only thing that will help the trans community and where they are, and what they need. So a number of years ago, my dad um, gave me a call, and I had been off, off work that day, and he called me, and he said, Tim, I've got something really significant and really important that, that I need to talk to you about. I thought that he was going to come and tell me that he was terminally ill, that he had cancer. I could sense that there was some kind of um, 
severity in the tone of his voice. And I was obviously terrified about what I was going to hear. And so my dad came to my house. He sat down at my kitchen table and he looked me in the eye and he said, I need to tell you something. And he said, for all of my life, I have felt like a woman trapped in a man's body. And from today onwards, I no longer wanted to be recognized in my male form. From this moment on, I want to be identified and recognized as a female. Now, here's the thing. What do you do when your dad sits down and tells you he wants to be your ma? <laughs> what do you do? I've got to be honest with you. I am not um, uh, somebody who is well known for being... Um, thoughtful and I'm not somebody who's very well known for taking time and having patience. I'm incredibly impetuous. My brain and my mouth rarely engage together Uh, and normally what I have to say comes out before I have thought about it. But this was one of those moments where in my life I had to pause and I had to think and I actually had to say, God, what am I going to do right now? And there was a moment, there was a pause And I'm looking across the room at this man who's very broken, who's very tearful, who's full of shame and full of fear about how I'm about to respond, how I'm about to um, engage with his deepest, darkest secret that he has carried with him for all of his life. My dad was 60 when he sat down at the table to share this with me. How am I going to engage? And I thought, God, what am I going to do? And still to this day, this moment will, will, will journey with me because it was one of those moments where I just really felt inside of me that the thing that I had to do was just hold his hand. And so I reached across the table and I looked at my dad and I held his hand and I said, that I have no idea where we're going with this. I have no idea how we're going to engage with this. I have no idea how we're going to respond to this. In fact, if I'm honest with you, this is nuts. It doesn't make any sense But I know this, you're my dad and I love you. And no matter what happens from this moment on, I'm not going to allow anything to interfere with my love for you and our relationship. So whatever it takes for us to journey together, we will do it together. And so off the back of that, I had proceeded to ask him a number of questions about what the future was going to look like for him. And so he proceeded to tell me that the future for him would look like this. For the next 12 months, he was going to be on some uh, medication that would suppress the production of testosterone. And he would be taking an estrogen supplement in order for him to feel and look more feminine. He told me that he was going to be going through a transitional phase where for the next 12 months, he was going to live like a female he was going to look like a female and if at the end of that 12 month period he still wanted to proceed with surgery then he would go ahead and he would have surgery so at the end of that 12 month period I traveled with my dad to Brighton he had a number of surgical procedures um, to remove genitalia and have female uh, genitalia constructed Um, he's had um, He's had implants and now he's bigger than my wife and that's just weird and um, he's had a number of other procedures as well after that where he has had his his face reconstructed, he's had his his jawline softened, he's had his forelane, uh, forehead softened, he's had his nose done and um, he's got great hair. 
He um, gets a wig um, that is supplied for him. It's real hair. It's really expensive. Um, I think it costs like a thousand pounds a time or, 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 or something like that. And, um, and this is his life. This is, this is how he lives and, and, and this is how he engages. And, and I've got to be honest with you and I've got to say this. I don't approve of any of it. I don't believe for one minute that any of this is what God would have for him. I believe that God created him to be a man. I believe that he is a man. But his reality is that he sees himself as a woman. And whilst I don't approve of it, the reality is I have to accept it. And there's lots of things in this world and there's lots of things in this life that we as the church might not approve of, but we still have to accept it as reality for those individuals because that is his reality. And some of the things that have helped me in kind of unpacking this and, uh, and engaging in this is that every journey always has a starting point and a destination. And so my destination is that my, for my dad is that he would find his identity in Jesus Christ by falling in love with Jesus Christ, and then that he would live in the way that Jesus wanted him to live. But his starting point is a very different starting point to the starting point I would like for him. And the starting point is his female form. And so therefore, I have to engage with him in his female form, which is nuts in and of itself. Because if we were here today, and if we were engaging with one another today, I would be calling him daddy. Because that's the context of our relationship. He's my dad, he was... He'll always be my dad. I can't see him as anything other than my dad. But if, we were, if I was to introduce him to you, I would introduce him to you in his female form. And so he's quite a, um, a, a prominent figure in the, uh, in the trans community now. Some of you may have seen him on TV recently um, where he had taken the government to, um, to, to court because of... Um, uh, how he felt he was being mistreated um, around finances and stuff like that. It was all over the, the BBC and, and, and the U- UTV for a while. And so up until this moment, I have never used his name because he didn't use it in public. And so if he was here, I would say, hey, this is Francis. Uh, Francis, this is David. It's so good for you to meet. And then in the context of our conversation, I'd be going, Daddy, would you wise up? Ah, Daddy, shut up. Daddy, what are you talking about? Daddy, remember that we did this and, and, and we did that. And so the, the, the pronouns and the nouns and stuff, is, it's incredibly complicated. But I think in order to honor the individual where they're at, I think it's so important to honor them where they're at. It doesn't mean that we approve, but we just got to accept that that's the reality. And so for us, that just creates a whole just variety of, of, of issues and problems. And, and I recognize for a lot of people that identifying and recognizing people in their, in, their, in their female form and accepting it can be incredibly difficult. But one of the things that, that, that really helped me in this and one of the things that, that I thought about is that in order to maintain relationship, whilst we never, as the church, step away from our, our, our biblical mandate and, and, and our biblical integrity. I think sometimes there are things that we can do that help us to engage in relationship with people. And one of the things that I had to lay down was this idea of the, the pronoun and, 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 and the noun and the, the male and, and the female because I recognized and I realized that if I was to engage in a discipleship relationship, that if I was to dishonor the female starting point, what I was actually doing was ending the relationship. And so my dad and I, we made a number of decisions together about how we would engage in relationship with one another. And one of the things was this, is that we would always be honest with each other. 
And so that has created a whole variety of problems in, in and of itself. And so my dad is very much aware of how I feel about his lifestyle, about the choices that he's made, about the decisions that he's made, about the life that he is living and about who he has become. But also in addition to that as well, it has created the opportunity and the space for him to engage with me at a very deep level where he can actually just vomit all over me in the best possible sense. And so I want you to imagine for a minute, and this is uh, what it's like for my dad, I want you to imagine for a minute what it would be like to wake up every morning and look in the mirror and have your brain tell you that what you see is not reality. Let me break it down for you even more simpler than this. Imagine for a minute that you're a fridge. Okay? But your computer chip is a cooker. And if you're a fridge but your computer chip, your central processing system is a cooker, you don't work right. Yes? And so for somebody who suffers from gender dysmorphia at the level that my dad suffered from for 60 years... He woke up every day, he looked in the mirror, he saw a man, but his brain said, that's not right. So he lived with this sense of inner turmoil, inner frustration, and fear and anxiety around what is going on. He thought he was insane. And for me, that's really sad to think that somebody would live for 60 years thinking that they are insane. Imagine that, what, what that would be like just for a minute. Because these are the people that we get to engage with when we get to go out and dip into the trans community. And we've got this incredible message of hope and we've got this incredible message of life and we've got this incredible message of love that we get to speak into that and say, actually, whilst you might think that that's your reality, we know a better truth and we know a higher truth. And we know that God's plan is to add value to your life. We know that he wants to prosper you. We know that you're fearfully and wonderfully made. And whilst your brain might be telling you one thing and whilst you might be seeing another, I'm actually going to bring something of greater truth into this story and something of greater truth into this reality. And so all of this has massively impacted all of our family. Obviously, my mum was deeply impacted by it. She was married, two kids, married for 34 years, and, um, and then one day her husband decided that no more. She had a decision to make. Am I going to be a lesbian and engage in a female-to-female relationship, or am I going to essentially walk away? So my mum has got an incredible sense of humor, and she's just a breath of fresh air, and when she's on, on it and she's having a good day, she will say, and it, the so-and-so left me for another woman himself. And so as a family, we have found humor in our situation. As a family, we have found that the best way for us to to get through this is just to love on each other and hold each other's hand. My mum and dad haven't spoken for since since the day my dad walked out. And as a family, we've had to carry her, we've supported her, we've loved on her, we've watched her relearn how to live. Um, my children grieve the loss of uh, a grandfather and sometimes meet with an imposter. My sister has never engaged in the process and my wife supports me incredibly 
in my confusions and frustrations and because it's nuts it's just nuts but that's the reality of the, the world that we live in and so my encouragement to you is this if you meet somebody who should happen to feel safe enough with you to share with you their deepest, darkest secret around their identity crisis, thank them for sharing it with you. Hold their hand, journey with them, and bring the reality of God into their world in such a way that they would encounter Jesus and then learn to live in the way that Jesus taught his disciples to live. So I'm going to hand you back over to David. He's going to wrap it up, and then we're going to come up for a, a Q&A. Is that correct? Yeah, 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 okay. Yeah. Uh, we're going to try to keep faith with time as best we can. We recognize that we have um, touched upon so many issues Um, from the very deeply personal to the huge ideological questions. Uh, And I just want to thank Tim. You've already thanked him. I want to really thank him for um, sharing something that's very difficult, very personal, ongoing, um, and nuts, as he said, but just very difficult to get our heads around. Um, So so thanks, Tim, for for doing that and for sharing that with us. Thank you. Um, If you do need to head on to collect kids or whatever, that, that's fine, um, head, head on. We will try to wrap up in 10 minutes, but I want to leave 10 minutes for questions, uh, and then we, we'll be around at the end, and we're happy to chat uh, if you don't feel you can ask your question. I'm going to bring out my lawyer um, differentiation between a question and a statement, so I'll allow you one sentence to make a statement before you premise your question. Um, but this is the time for questions more than statements, uh, if that's helpful. Just take out as many questions as we can. Um, So, any brave souls, any questions, and I'll repeat them so we can all hear. Yes, thank you. Okay, so the question was, if Tim's dad decided to marry, how would he engage with that? How would he approach that? Um, That's a a massive question, and I'm going to do my best to answer, but I don't know is the the honest answer. Because I think, you know, I, I can give you the principle, and I can give you the practice, and I can give you the theory, but until we're actually... Uh, engaged in that situation. I would like to think that I would go along and I would go to the, the wedding, okay? Um, I don't think I would be giving him away <laughs> or walking him down the aisle, but I certainly think that I would, I, I would go. Again, it's, it's about honouring, you know, um, where they're at because I think when we're in relationship, and this is the beauty of relationship, when you're, when you're in relationship, with somebody and you know and you can be honest with that person um i think you know the beauty of my relationship with my dad is that i can tell him that i don't agree but because i love him i will be there because i don't want to upset and disengage but because of the level of relationship that we have and this number one rule of honesty and vulnerability and transparency he will hear my heart and he will hear in principle and he will hear how I feel about it, but at the same time, I would—I I think I would be there. So, brilliant. Thank you. Another question? Yes. Then we'll come. Okay. So, your dad was sixty. Was there no signs over those sixty years? Do you know? Um, not a not a mission, right? But th- let, let me let me say this: 
he'd always been depressed, was very successful, ran part of the health service for a while um, and gave that up. So we always um, likened his stress to work rather than identity. Okay, But when I was a child growing up, I always had a recurring nightmare. And the recurring nightmare was that there was always two people that were there in this dream. And there was a, a good person and there was a bad person, right? And typically, it was my dad. And there was a good dad and there was a bad dad. What I have now found out is that when I was a child growing up, my dad was cross-dressing when my mom went to work when he was looking after me, and it wasn't a dream. And that was deeply profound. So I, have, I, I grew up with trust issues because of the dreams that I had, which I now know were, were not a dream. So my mum knew, um, I, sorry I didn't say this, my mum had known for about 30 years that he was cross-dressing and that he was struggling in, in those areas. And they went to the health service for help, um, for a cure, um, and they engaged in a journey, which was a 20-year journey, where the destination ended up where my dad had surgery and, and left my mum. So, so, so my mum knew. Thank you, Tim. Thank you. So this man here. Yeah, um, so the question was, can a transgender person be legally married, and what challenges is that to a church? Um, my understanding is in Northern Ireland, where same-sex marriage is not law yet, um, and we'll see what happens in October, that, um, that, uh, that uh, same, um, someone would need to get re- divorced and remarried if they wanted to be married, or you know they would still be legally married but identifying differently. The gender recognition certificate, um, uh, so in GB, um, the, the, whenever the law changed around marriage, one of the arguments for changing around marriage was to accommodate cases like this where someone had changed legally their um, their, their sex and then that meant that they w- w- could not be married whereas changing the law around same-sex marriage effectively dealt with that issue. Um, so I think in Northern Ireland it, it is different as far as I know. Uh, sorry, this and then... So the, the, the question was, is that trusting that my dad um, enters into a relationship with the Trinity, um, that then has the potential to create uh, another set of circumstances where he could go back to be reconstructed again. Is that, is that a fair uh, assumption? And how am I geared up for that? Or he may not exactly. Yeah, yeah. How, how am I geared up for that? I'm not. But the same God that got me to this point and equipped me and empowered me and gave me the strength and the wisdom to journey from, from there to, to where we are now will no doubt do the same. I think that's a, probably a bigger issue or that would be a bigger question for my dad to answer because for me, I'll just be journeying. The question will be for him, you know, he's gone through all of this to get to, to where he is now and all of a sudden he's fallen in love with Jesus and he's, um, you know, re-identified and thought, oh, I, 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 need, to, I need to repent essentially and, and, and turn away from all of this. That would be a massive um, journey for him. My job will just be to hold his hand. Does that make sense? Yeah. Thank you. We're going to have one, one last question and then we'll wrap up and we are happy to chat at the front here after. Okay. Um, would you like to... Respond to him, yeah. Uh, maybe you could sum up. 
So the, the, the question was, um, there, there was a statement that the lady at the frontier has got a, a number of um, uh, teenagers, young adults, that, that come visit her, her house along with her daughter. Some identify as, as trans and, and, and gay. And, and the conversation that you have with them is around how is life in general, how school, how you get on, and, and things like that. And, and you're asking the question, am I being a coward? In that, okay. So there's a yes and a no answer to that in the best possible sense. And, and don't hear what I'm not saying because it's not a condemning thing. But what we what we must recognise and realise that relationships need to be built, okay. And there are levels of relationship. And when we are in relationship, we get to have permission to speak into people's lives. And that's a beautiful thing about relationship. But there's a giving and there's a taking. So some of the things that one one sorry one of the things that has really helped me, and and that type of thought pattern and that type of thought process is not so much to think about it in terms of being a coward or, or not a coward. It's more about thinking about how how can I be a witness in this moment? How can I be a witness in this situation? And I have found the best way sometimes for us to open doors in order for us to be witnesses for the King of Kings, the Lord of Lords. The great I am, the Alpha, the Omega, the beginning and the end, who was and is and is to come, is to ask questions. And so one of the things that I always do is when I'm sitting down and I'm engaging with people, particularly those in the trans community, as I say, you know, what do you think God thinks about this? What do you think God thinks about your situation? What do you think, you know, what do you think the church thinks about it? And, and, and get to hear what their heart is, get to hear where they're at on it. Because more often than not, when we take the time to listen, what we actually do is open the door for us to speak. And so what I have found is that when I take the time to ask the questions and to listen, once I'm finished listening, I'm, I, I have permission to say, can I tell you what I think? And can I tell you what I think God thinks? And what we actually do by doing that is actually create the opportunities and the spaces by being intentional in relational development to be able to speak into people's lives. Does that, does that make sense? Yeah. yeah. Brilliant. So before he transitioned, the opportunity for that level of conversation didn't take place because it all happened so fast. So we journeyed that over the 12-month period where we were both being very honest and very vulnerable and very transparent. So one of the things that I didn't get to say when I was talking is that my dad, in the context of our conversation, told me that he prayed for 34 years for God to remove the burden of the gender dysmorphia. God didn't. So his uh, only understanding for my dad is that this must be what God wants for me because I prayed intently. And my dad will tell you that he believes in God. No, he's never, he's never been a Christian, but he will tell you that in, in the way that we would profess it in terms of, you know, that definition. But he would tell you that he has some level of relationship with God, that he, you know, he, he knows God and he tell, as he, in, in his way. But his journey would be, I prayed for 34 years. God didn't take it from me. So therefore, then this must be my reality. And so this is what I'm going with. So. Thank you so much. Um, apologies that we've opened a can of worms and they're now crawling around the floor. Um, <laughs> <clears throat> we are happy to chat about this. If you see us around, do, do come over and chat or, or come to the front. Um, last thing, there's a postcard here. If you appreciate what we do around issues like this, feel free to fill it in, keep in touch with us, or support us for as little as £3 a month. Thank you so much for coming and for your time. <laughs>